Thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. There'd be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and thank you for joining us. This is Learning From Life. I'm Linda Sage and as always, yes, I have another amazing guest. I know I say it every week, but it is true every week and this week is no different. Joining me today is a lady, and I think all ladies wear lots of different hats, but uh, this lady certainly has an awful lot of different histories and stories to tell as well. So we have actually a doctor in the house. So Dr. Sue Palmer-Con. So thank you very much for joining me, Sue. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. So we're just talking here about uh, lessons that we learn from life and things that we don't learn in school. And I'm sure uh, you've learnt many along the way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so let's let's hear a little bit about who who are you? Who who is, who is Sue? Oh, where do you want me to start? So we start with personal side and then go to professional side. Okay. Um, I grew up the eldest of four, the only daughter with three very lazy brothers um so i've i've always had to sort of shout loudest to be heard over the boys and so that's really carried on throughout my life and um i went off to university first one in the family so that sort of set the pace for the rest of my life i i've always been a fairly high achiever and after I left university, I went into teaching and then I had the children, got married first, had the children. Mm-hmm. Um, then I, after I had the children, I went back, I took seven years out and then went back very part time. And coincidental with that, I was diagnosed with MS and the, I'd worked out a, a physical program to combat it and the neurologist said that I might lose physical fac- uh, mental faculties as well so I thought right okay what else can I do so I did a psychology degree mm-hmm. first degree was in geochemistry very black and white psychology as you know is as grey as can be <laughs> oh yes <laughs> so that sort of set the pace and I seemed to have the MS under control, uh, but I was afraid then of stopping studying. So I went on and did a PhD. And that was the beginning of the end of my marriage because I was now going to be more qualified than my husband with the potential to earn a good living. And eventually he got himself a girlfriend and we got divorced and that really was the the start of me being me you know I was no longer just somebody's mum or somebody's wife and 
I look back now and I, th I, I always say that I'm really grateful to being given this second chance in life. It's funny, isn't it, sometimes how the uh, times that are perhaps our lowest ebb actually open up the door to take us soar into heights that we never even thought of before. Oh, absolutely. I never had any ambition. Um, you know, I was quite happy walking in the shadows. And then when I, I got my first full-time job in 20 years as a, a junior lecturer, and in mm -hmm. five years, I went through a series of promotions until I got a, a senior manager's post at a, a university. And and I mean, you're you're sort of a similar age group to to me. So you must have found at the time that you know, again, females in the higher echelons of um, uh, academia, it was it was still quite rare as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, very few and far between slightly different now but still not equal playing field yeah no not not at all but so a, a trailblazer you've you've been so yeah yeah why not <laughs> why not so going back to a little bit professionally so you, uh, you went into lecturing and where did you go from there um well because i was thrown into this senior management post without any management experience. I thought I better do something about that. So I did an MBA to get the theoretical side, but I also started to do some coaching courses um, because I always said that if I got into management, I would rather coach than manage. And I got really, really good results from, from my staff through using a coaching model. And that really, I think, changed my whole outlook on life mm -hmm. and you know whereas earlier on in life the boys used to say oh mum stop being a teacher they then were saying oh mum stop coaching <laughs> so it sort of took over the the whole of the way that I worked yeah, yeah. so uh, what did you do your PhD in Sue? Um, educational psychology mm -hmm. um, it's didn't start off life as that, but it that's how it ended up because when I was testing out the materials that I wanted to use, I tried them out on the boys who by that time were nine and eleven, and I got very strange results. And I thought, well, it's either me, the materials, or the boys. So I tried it out on some of their friends got normal results both the boys are dyslexic mm -hmm. and when I, I worked with other children with dyslexia I got the same sort of results so originally I was looking at um, how children translate three two-dimensional pictures into three-dimensional models but with this new finding I thought this is really so exciting and nobody had looked at how working memory developed. Um, so that's what my PhD was all about, was looking at how working memory developed in relation to literacy acquisition. Mm -hmm. And then I went on and, and sort of um, developed a model of the developing working memory, which in 
later life, um, you know, it's it's really stood me in good stead working with people with dyslexia, but also coming back into academia. Um, I've done a lot of work with um, people going through the prison system, looking back at their, their history. And a lot of children have got frontal lobe dysfunction, which is all related to working memory. And a lot of that is caused by attachment disorders. And, you know, that sort of manifests itself in either, depending on, on the way the child develops, in either poor um, adult relationships or, in very serious cases, can lead them on to a, a criminal career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's surprising that the huge uh, element of um, low literacy achievements through either dyslexia or the autistic spectrum uh, in the prison environment yeah absolutely absolutely and it's not just literacy it's language itself when you look at um, language acquisition language production it's something like 78 percent of the prison population have got a language disorder of some mm -hmm. form or other either receptive or productive and and it's quite amazing to think because i mean again because we're a sort of similar age group that um looking back at the school my, my daughter's on the autistic spectrum and she's got the dyslexia dyspraxia adhd and, and loads of other things but just fighting with the school to uh, adapt a more uh, proactive way of of helping her and yet i had to fight every single step of the way because of you know just people using language in a different way yeah absolutely especially children with uh, on the on the autistic spectrum their language is very literal so you have to think about the nuances of the language that you're using yeah. You know, I must admit, yeah, one of my one of my big ones, and it really surprised me because sort of coming from an educational psychology background, it seemed a logical step for me. But you know, I had a real battle with the teachers because if you uh, talk to her, obviously her cognitive ability outwardly looks the same as everybody else, but inwardly she's she's functioning in a different way. But if you say to her, uh, do you understand? She's going to say yes. And then she'll go off and do something completely different. And the teachers would get really annoyed with her. So I said to them, just change the question. Instead of, uh, have you understood? Um, and, and uh, what have you understood? And when she feeds it back to you, you'll see that it's a completely different thing. Yeah. But it was such a battle. You know, just Absolutely. that small change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it... it it's not even, you know, what have you understood? It's more, you know, tell me what you what you have understood. Yes. You yeah. know, put it into your words. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it certainly is. It's, it's such a wide field out there. And, I mean, things are a little bit better now, but they're not hugely better because I know people in, in schools and education are, st are still struggling. Yeah. It, the problem is they don't have the education to understand it. Mm -hmm. At teachers' training colleges, um, they have so little specialist training on developmental disorders. 
Yeah, the you know, the all inclusion policy of having all the children in the uh, the classroom, but they're not giving the facilities to be able to deal with that. No, and they don't they don't have the specialist help either. Yeah. So, what would you say that uh, the biggest thing that you learned about yourself going through this? Um, going through the whole system, I think I learned how resilient I am and how um, innovative I can be. You know, yeah. the way I the way I teach now, because I'm I'm still working part time until Easter, mm-hmm. um, and I deliver the forensic psychology modules that I teach now mm-hmm. in a very different way. I, I teach it through problem based learning. So they're getting uh, real life experience, whereas people that are like 20, 30, 40 years younger are still using the old chalk and talk. Yeah. You know, passive, passive learning, whereas I'm trying to encourage very active learning. And although at first the students sort of rebel against it, saying, oh, you know, I don't like this, I can't do this. By the end, they, they turn around and they say, now we understand why. Yeah. And, and also you know, it's, it's shown that they, they retain it a lot better as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have them working in cross-disciplinary teams. So there's people that have come from criminal justice background or criminology or policing or straight psychology and they work in groups and share different perspectives on the the task in hand so you've been through your developmental and you've been through your upper echelons of uh, um, in the uh, academic spheres and then you're having a change again i am (laughs) i am i'm now going to because over the years, my um, coaching knowledge has been refined down and down. So I started off doing general life coaching. And then as I started to think about retirement, I thought, well, coaching is a, a good way to keep the mind active, to give back to people what I've I've taken out of, of society. Um, I've, I've then looked at health and wellness and even then it I don't think it was niche down enough and so eventually I thought well what where in my experience am I you know getting the most from and it's I've now niched down and become a, a divorce coach and I'm the only certified divorce coach in the UK there are other people doing divorce coaching but they've trained in, in in life coaching and then sort of worked with people going through divorce. Mm-hmm. And I believe you, you're specialising in a certain age group as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work with older women because that is the area that is the growing number. Over the last 20 years, the numbers of, of women going through divorce has more than doubled. Over over the age of fifty, um, I, I, I must admit I, I was quite surprised because when when I knew I was speaking to you, I did a little bit of, of research, and I never realised how 
quite acutely the numbers have risen in the last few years of the older generation divorcing absolutely it's incredible and i think you know the baby boomers who you know born in the 50s and early 60s they they had certain expectations and as time has gone on and they're starting to come into their own they're now thinking well I don't need to stay in this loveless relationship for the next 20, 30 years. You know, this, you sit across the breakfast table and you think, well, who is this person? Mm. You know, we've grown apart. And by the time people are getting to their 50s and 60s, the children are off hand. Um, and it's time then to give back to themselves so that their their horizons are are expanding they've got far more opportunities now than they've ever had and i think you know sort of they look now and they think well now i can do things that i've never been able to do before yeah and and also i think you know sort of the mindset of the older generation if you sort of even sort of 10 15 years older is very much well we're put up and shut up but now people are thinking that the lifespan is longer we're hopefully fitter and healthier and more independent for longer so living out that life is really important absolutely absolutely and you know the thing is that divorce is only the end of one part of a journey and the start of a new part of a journey you know and i always say to people you know, don't look at it as the end. You've now got this opportunity to create the life that you've always wanted. Very, very true. I think sometimes it's harder for other family members, you know, their expectations and things like this, rather than the actual people that are involved. Yes, it, it, you know, we, we forget that, that even adult children are going to get affected by mm. divorce. But on the other hand, if they have watched their parents get more and more disconnected or even start arguing more and more, it's almost a relief for them because they're at the age where they're embarking on their own life journey and they want to see their, their parents happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as you say, you know, there's far more opportunities out there. People are working longer or they're travelling more. Well, obviously not at the moment with COVID, but you know, the, uh, there are even more opportunities, you know, like for yourself and, and for me, you know, sort of entrepreneurship has come at a later time in life than an awful lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed of starting my own business. But now you know, the world is my oyster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I got married again, 16 years ago. And my new husband is so supportive. If I have any wobbles, he says, go on, of course, you can do it. And that, that is the big difference. I think, you know, having somebody there to encourage you and support you gives you that extra boost of confidence oh yeah most certainly so coming to the future so what's the future hold for you sue um 
I am still working three days until Easter, three days a week till Easter in academia. But come Easter, I hang up my gown and I shall be working, I won't say full time, but that will be my main um, occupation as working as a, a divorce coach. Well, will, will you miss uh, hanging up your gown, do you think? Um, no, I think the time is right now. Yeah. I think so. the time is right and I've got all this, you know, these new opportunities and unfortunately one of the byproducts of COVID has been an increase in inquiries about separation and divorce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to say to you know, sort of with the um, education side of it, with with COVID, has this had a great effect on you and what you've been doing? Um, it has, in as much as all the teaching has had to go online. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the way that I teach lends itself beautifully to being done online, especially you know with using Zoom and breakout rooms. I can put them into small groups and then just pop in and, and visit them to make mm -hmm. sure that everything's on track. Yeah. So it's not been as easy for other people, but because I had COVID very early on before the lockdown, I'd said right, right from the start that I wasn't going to put myself at risk mm -hmm. come September and I was going to be working online anyway. Yeah. And within a couple of weeks, everybody was having to teach online. So I had used the lockdown to get everything prepared. I'd got all the, the workshops written out. I'd got videos made ready for the, the teaching. Mm -hmm. So I was, re I was really well prepared, but the students are still not 100% happy with having to work online you know you think that they're they're, they're internet natives whereas we're interlopers mm -hmm. and uh, you'd, you'd think it would be the other way around so so do you think this will continue for the you know onwards do you think it's going to be a way of educate changing education now i think it's going to be one way that it will work i think having a, a blended situation going forward is probably going to give them the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that perhaps education needs to think about, I know the government is now talking about post-qualification entry to university. Yeah. But, you know, that, that doesn't give a, a big turnaround to you know much time between getting the results and then making the offers and you know the applications and the offers yeah. so perhaps moving to a, a january start i think one of the the biggest things that they they should or could consider is moving to a, a four-term year right the way through education so that they have four periods of 13 weeks because if you think about it, you know, the, the university students finish in May or June yeah. and don't come back till September or October. Oh, in yeah. that period of time, they've forgotten everything. Yeah. And yeah. it's the same with, with schools. You know, six weeks for a young child is an awfully long time to 
try to remember what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they had five weeks a week off, five weeks, two weeks off and so on throughout the year, I think it would be so much uh, more productive. And, and it would certainly be easier for, for parents because, I mean, if you've got two parents working, we, you know, the summer holidays, they're, they're huge problems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great thoughts. So your piece of advice, if you have a, a, a lady or a gentleman, depending on the situation, that's, uh, you know, sort of in their, their 50s, 60s or even, even more, that uh, are, are looking at making changes, what would you say to them? If, the, if those changes are involving having a life, you know a separate life from their partner then I, I couldn't advise them more than to go and get a coach to help them to cope with the the emotions that they're going to go through to help them coach with the, the changes to help them cope with the vision of the future so planning this this new future and you know it doesn't matter what the transition is trying to make a, a fresh start is much easier when you've got somebody there to support you and to help you make informed decisions rather than knee-jerk decisions yeah very very true it's always easy with a little bit of a helping hand yeah absolutely so time always gets the better of us. And I know, Sue, that we could absolutely be talking for ages yet. So maybe oh, we'll come back and we'll do a part two soon. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, how can people get hold of you if they want to? Um, I'm on Facebook as Sue Palmer Con, Or if you want to look on my business page, it's, it's The Divorce Doctor or on LinkedIn with the same handles, or my website is www.divorce-doctor, that's doctor in full, not dr, dot com. Great. Okay. Well, we can put some information out for you as well. So, Sue, thank you so, so much for being with us today. Really appreciated all your insights and, uh, yeah, lots of different areas there that we'd be talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> So thank you for joining us as well for listeners and uh, a good thing about the podcast is you know you can always listen again as many times as you want because there was a huge amount of information there from Sue so do go back have a re-listen and you can always pause and take notes and also get hold of her as well and we will be back with you next week so for now stay safe look after yourself bye for now. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in conjunction with the Chapel FM Art Centre and East Leeds FM radio station. For more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk. And to know more about what Linda Sage is doing, her website is www.lindasage.com. Also on all the other social medias.